Chapter 35 In place of quiet, we must be plunged into confusion. Instead of listening to the ticking of clocks, we must hear the thunder of cannon. Instead of smelling flowers and incense, we must smell powder. Emile Erkeman and Alexander Chatrian Waterloo, 1865 As summer 2001 passes, Babette and I make many more trips together. We visit Shanico and Fossil again, then Crater Lake, and even Cowichan Bay in British Columbia, though she divulges no more details regarding the convent, and we give Nanaimo a wide berth. Her health seems fabulous, enough that Babette plans spending September 5th through the 25th with family in France. On her appointed departure morning, we pull up before the Lufthansa drop-off. Are you sure you don't need help inside? I ask. My professor gestures at a single piece of green plaid luggage in back. No, no, I travel very light. The suitcase has wheels, so your assistance will not be required. Truly, I feel reborn these days. Do not worry about me at all. Please, enjoy yourself while I am gone. I squeeze her hand. Okay, I'm glad. Well, have a fun time then. Babette lightly steps out of the idling car and retrieves her suitcase. The door slams, and with a casual wave, she merges with other travelers marching along toward their gates. A bored-faced security officer directs my way back out into traffic, and I drive home. Then, the house is my own. Several days later, Zoya comes over for dinner. Eager to impress, I select the art of cuisine and follow instructions preparing a lamb shank with peppermint and potatoes. We set places for ourselves at the patio table and dine off exquisite tableware. A light breeze moves around us, lazy and full as the sun lowers. Every bite is superb. For dessert, we pick sweet muscat grapes off a vine twining along the garage. Zoya bites one in half and contemplates the remainder. Her dark eyes meet mine. Let's use your hot tub. We undress in the living room and she wraps her dreadlocks up in a long floral scarf. Outside, the two of us scamper naked behind the thick screen of bushes. I flip the jacuzzi cover open and steam explodes, filling the natural alcove. It rises up through Japanese maple and rhododendron branches. Zoya ascends the wooden steps ahead of me and dips shapely legs beneath the water. Her cat's eye glasses immediately fog over. She sets them on the plastic edge. I plunge in, my toes gliding against her nearest smooth thigh. She grins, then moves close and embraces me. Long fingernails scratch my back. I smile with delight. Zoya, I love playing house with you. And Zoya, I can't deny it. I love you. She pulls her face back, gazing up at me. Amber shadows highlight contours along her cheeks and nose. I love you too, she says, and kisses me, full mouth pressed against mine. We sit quietly entwined, soaking in the heat and symmetry of the moment as sleepy birds chirp to one another, and a neighborhood cat rustles foliage nearby. Final golden rays filter through green leaves overhead. The air carries a faint scent of wood smoke. Finally, Zoya speaks again. Let's get married. What? I sit up straight and almost topple her over. You're not serious, right? Zoya pushes me away and raises an elegantly arched eyebrow. Why not? Well, look at us. You earn minimum wage, part-time at a daycare, and illegally sublet a tenement. I'm a college student dependent on an old French Nazi atheist nun. Zoya shakes her head. 
I don't mean today. It's not like you'll carry me over the threshold of your basement pantry. But think about it. Babette is what, mid-70s? Who knows? She could last another 20 years. I know you feel loyal, but would you stay here that long? She playfully flicks droplets at my face. The sharp scent of chlorine brings me to attention. True, I'd rather not wake up someday and realize I'm 40 and still Babette's chauffeur. But you're right, I do feel loyalty after all she's done for me. Would you wait, say, a couple years maybe? Zoya's cheeks crinkle and her chin dips below the surface. Yes, I would indeed, mister. All right, but we can't let her know. Exactly. Babette might stalk me. Water swirls as Zoya pulls close. Warm lips graze my ear. Then it's done. We're engaged. I stroke her supple shoulders, then move lower, caressing each hip. We melt together as light wanes and the alcove softens into blackness. Roman numerals on the sundial fade, now meaningless sentinels. Nothing could eclipse this place and time. One by one, shadows merge until night unfolds completely around us. An hour later, we reluctantly extract ourselves from the tub and catch a bus across town to the civic apartments as Zoya works early. We sit in back, silently holding drowsy hands while other late riders stretch weary limbs or bury faces in newspapers. Once curled up in her elevated nest, despite loud thumping bass from Salazar's stereo next door, sleep claims us quickly. The next morning, Zoya's urgent voice awakens me. Ross, get up! We're under attack! Her stiff forefinger jabs at my ribs. What the hell are you talking about? I mutter. Burnside Street traffic growls past just outside the window. Harsh daylight leaks through torn blinds, and I rub crust from my eyes. It's a fucking attack! You need to see this! Oh my god! She turns up the volume on a thrift store rabbit ear zenith in the corner. I roll over, squinting. There are sirens, panicked screams, and orange explosions. At this, I sit bolt upright. Airplanes are crashing over and over again into the World Trade Center towers. Next, ABC anchorman Peter Jennings comes on, sober-faced. There is chaos in New York at the moment. There have been two incidents. The city of New York is ordering major evacuations. We stare, riveted by the screen. 